0: a wonderful and rare opportunity this morning to preach about Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul's letter to Philemon is one of the shortest books of the Bible. It's just 335 words in total in Greek, 25 verses. Now, unfortunately, the lectionary deprives us of being able to say that we read the entire letter in church this morning, but the 21 verses that we do read give us unique insight into Paul, the person, rather than Paul, the theologian. This letter gives us a glimpse into Paul's relationships, rather than his complex ideas and his rhetoric that we're so often used to hearing in his more well-known letters. So Paul, the person, writes to his friend Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy and successful Christian— who was converted to the gospel by Paul, and now hosts a church in his own house. Paul, who has been imprisoned, has come to know Philemon's slave, Onesimus, who has in some way wronged his owner. Now, we don't know exactly what happened between Philemon and Onesimus. It is usually assumed that Onesimus stole some of Philemon's money and he ran away. But The letter really doesn't say anything about what has happened. What is clear is that Philemon is a runaway slave who has been also evangelized by Paul, of whom Paul has become very fond. Paul calls Onesimus my own heart, a beloved brother, even saying that he has become like a father to Onesimus. So, Paul writes to Philemon to ask him to do something quite difficult. To welcome Onesimus home not as a slave, but as a fellow Christian, as a brother, and to explore what that new relationship might look like. In other words, Paul is asking a slave owner to free and, what's more, befriend his slave. And Paul himself offers to pay for whatever it is that Onesimus owes his master, whether it's stolen money or debts incurred in his absence. While it's important to talk about theology, about who God is and what God has done and how he has accomplished all of that, in the end, Paul's brief letter of 335 words, Is all we really need to know about what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be set free and to use our freedom to set our brothers and sisters free. To be a Christian, in other words, is to be useful. Paul writes of Onesimus, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to both you and me. And Paul is actually playing with words here, because the name Onesimus in Greek means useful. It was a common name for slaves. Makes sense. So how could Onesimus, a slave, someone who is basically meant to be useful, how could he have formerly been useless to his owner, as Paul writes? Well, I don't think that Paul was saying that Onesimus was a poor worker, but rather that slavery itself had rendered Onesimus useless. Slavery reduced him to a tool, to nothing more than an object. And when Onesimus met Paul, who saw him not as an object, but as a person— worthy of relationship with God and with other human beings, a person full of his own agency, that was when Onesimus became useful. To be a Christian is to be set free and to use our freedom to help set our brothers and our sisters free. Paul used his own freedom to write to his friend Philemon, upon appealing to him on the basis of his own freedom, advocating for the freedom of Onesimus. Who in our lives might we know that needs similar advocacy? How might we be useful, really useful, as Christians? This week I was uh, in North Carolina at a conference for Latino ministry in both the Episcopal and the Lutheran churches. It was a wonderful week full uh, full of fellowship and learning. And I wasn't there by myself. I was accompanied by a few of our own parishioners here at St. John's, one of whom is Lacey Bromell, who is a Refugee and Immigration Policy Analyst. Did you catch that? Refugee and Immigration Policy Analyst for the office of the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Michael Curry. And Lacey offered a workshop about immigration law and the importance of participating in the political process as Christians. And she said that Bishop Curry himself has recently released a video message saying that voting and participation in our government is our Christian obligation. And voting is the most essential way that we advocate for ourselves and for those whom we care about. But it's not the only way. Lacey also spoke about the plight of a group of women and children, most of them refugees from Central America who crossed this country's border seeking asylum. Did you know that currently many of these families are detained, basically imprisoned, with no end in sight, and often with limited access to legal counsel in detention centers across this country. Did you know that many of these detention centers are run by private companies, the same private companies that the Justice Department has concluded are less safe and less effective than those run by the government? Yet, the phase-out of private prisons that was announced by the Justice Department just last month will not apply to these women and children in detention centers across the country. Even as I speak, there are 22 women on hunger strike in a Pennsylvania detention center protesting their confinement and their children's confinement. If there is anyone, anyone who deserves a letter written on their behalf. I think that these women and these young children, some of whom have been waiting in limbo for as long as a year, deserve advocacy. You and I have been set free in Christ, and many of us have the privilege of citizenship in this country. How can we be useful as Christians? We can contact immigration and customs enforcement. We can contact our elected officials to ask them to end the practice of detaining refugees. We can use our own power and influence to advocate for the people in our midst who are literally imprisoned and waiting to be set free. Now, we don't know what the result of Paul's letter to Philemon was. If only we could see what Philemon's reply was. But we can assume that this letter was included in the canon of Christian scripture because Philemon heeded Paul's advice. I think that Philemon must have li- lived up to Paul's expectations, and when Onesimus arrived, I believe that he did free him. And in the process, he transformed and freed both himself and Onesimus, how will people ever live up to their highest calling if we don't appeal to them as Paul did to Philemon on the basis of love? Do we expect the best from our family, our neighbors, our elected leaders, those in power Are we willing to hold each other accountable? What do we have to lose, after all? What can it hurt to appeal to one another? Not through coercion, which, as Paul points out, is always an option, but to appeal to one another on the basis of love. We never know what the results of our efforts of advocacy will bring, it's very easy to become disillusioned to think that our efforts won't make a difference. I know that I'm guilty of that. I didn't even vote in the last presidential election. But this year, I pledge to do differently. I pledge to vote. And at the least, I hope that you will too join me in appealing to our leaders on the basis of love. And at the least, the difference that our advocacy efforts will make, whether our advocacy efforts for our imprisoned brothers and sisters, whether those people are imprisoned literally or figuratively, at the least they will know that someone cares about them and loves them, that we're thinking of them, that we're praying for them. God only knows what the fruits of our advocacy will be. As Christians, we are set free, and we are called to set our sisters and our brothers free. May we all be like Onesimus, aware of our own agency and our own capability to act, to make a difference in the world. May we all be useful. Amen. Thank you.